Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. My name is Jennifer Holtz, and I'm an associate in Kelly Dry and Warren's Communications Group. I'm joined by my colleague, Jamison Dempsey. Hey, Jamison. Hey, Jen. So today we're going to talk about the big decision by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit upholding the FCC's net neutrality rules. Jamison, you were part of our last podcast on this. Do you want to start us off? Sure thing. Hi, Jen. The 2015 Open Internet Order was a watershed moment in telecommunications and internet regulation. Most importantly, the order reclassified fixed and mobile broadband internet access service, or BIAS, as a telecommunications service under Title II of the Communications Act of 1934, essentially treating BIAS as an old-school common carrier service. Having done so, the order established three bright-line open internet, or net neutrality, rules. These include no blocking, no throttling, and no paid prioritization. The order also created a forward-looking general conduct rule, barring broadband providers from unreasonably interfering with end-users' internet use or edge providers' ability to make their services available to end-users. This is essentially the uh, no unreasonable interference or unreasonable disadvantage standard. Moreover, the commission assumed jurisdiction over certain interconnection challenges against broadband providers from interconnecting providers. Lastly, while the commission applied a number of the core consumer protection protection provisions of Title II, such as those relating to privacy and disabilities access, it forbore from or did not apply a host of other provisions of Title II. Now, let's talk about the complaints. The order was adopted in February of 2015, and in March of 2015, U.S. Telecom filed a complaint with the D.C. Circuit alleging that the FCC used improper legal procedures and did not have the legal authority to reclassify BIAS as a telecommunications service. Now, they were followed by a host of other industry players, and these cases were ultimately consolidated under U.S. Telecom's complaint. The petitioners claim that the reclassification and subsequent common carrier regulation would reverse decades of established legal precedent, slow innovation, chill investment, and lead to increased consumer costs. They challenged the FCC's decision to regulate interconnection agreement under Title II, asserted that the FCC improperly forbore from some Title II regulations, challenged the inclusion of mobile broadband, which was also a reclassification of sorts, and specifically challenged the ban on paid prioritization and the general conduct rule. Now, this was in addition to the First Amendment challenges by petitioners Alamo Broadband and Daniel Berenger, which we will have to discuss at another time. Turning to the decision. Judges Tatel and Srinivasan wrote the opinion, while Judge Williams concurred in part and dissented in part. Importantly, Judge Tatel authored the last two challenges to the Commission's authority to impose net neutrality regulations. Those cases were Comcast versus FCC in 2010 and Verizon versus FCC in 2014. Judge Tatel found in each of those cases that the FCC did not have authority to regulate broadband service in the manner that it sought to regulate them. 
The court addressed the petitioner's procedural claims and then their substantive claims. Now, the procedural claims hinged largely on claims that the FCC provided inadequate notice, and then the court gave broad deference to the FCC, noting on several occasions that the commission gave notice in its notice of proposed rulemakings of the possibility of using Title II to regulate bias. For our purposes, we're only going to cover the substantive claims. Jameson, why don't you start us there? Sure thing. The petitioners advanced three main substantive challenges to the 2015 Open Internet Order, all of which the court rejected. First, petitioners claim that the FCC lacks statutory authority to reclassify broadband as a telecommunications service under Title II. Second, petitioners argued that even if the FCC did have such authority, it failed to adequately explain why it reclassified broadband from an information service to a telecommunications service. Third, petitioners argued that in order to reclassify broadband, the FCC had to first determine that bias providers were common carriers. We'll briefly address each one of these. First, let's discuss the claims against the Commission's authority to reclassify broadband as a telecommunications service. On that first argument that the FCC lacks statutory authority, the court held that the Commission acted within its authority in reclassifying broadband under the deference given to the Commission under the well-established Chevron standard set by the Supreme Court. The Chevron standard gives federal agencies deference when the agency has to interpret an ambiguous statute, as long as the interpretation is reasonable and Congress is silent. The court struck down each of U.S. Telecom's arguments that broadband is unambiguously an information service, noting that the definition of information service concludes with via telecommunications, and found that U.S. Telecom failed to provide an unambiguous answer to whether broadband providers make a standalone offering of telecommunications. On that second point, the court also agreed with the commission that nothing in the Communications Act, quote, suggests that Congress intended to freeze in place the commission's existing classifications of various services, unquote. Instead, the court explained that the classification of services turns on how consumers perceive the service and that, unlike in the early and mid-2000s when the commission found that broadband service was an information service, uh, today consumers perceive broadband service as a standalone service from other information services like email. The court also upheld the FCC's determination that caching and DNS, when offered as a part of BIAS, are simply used to facilitate the transmission of information and to manage the network, and therefore fall outside the definition of information services. The definition of information services explicitly excludes services that are involved in the management of telecommunication services. The court then rejected claims that the commission failed to provide an adequate rationale for reclassifying broadband, and instead could have relied on its authority under Section 706 of the Telecommunications Act of 1996. The commission had determined that it could not rely on Section 706 and refrain from reclassification because the bright-line rules it wanted to create would effectively treat providers as common carriers. This is important because in the Verizon decision in 2014, the D.C. Circuit found that the commission could not impose common carrier-like regulations on non-common carrier services. The court accepted the commission's rationale as a perfectly good reason for the commission's change in position on the reclassification. And finally, the court rejected petitioners' arguments that the commission could not reclassify broadband without first classifying broadband providers as common carriers. The Communications Act says that a carrier shall be treated as a common carrier to the extent it is engaged in providing telecommunication services. When the commission found bias to be a telecommunication service, the court agreed with the commission that it was then required to treat ISPs as common carriers. 
Now we are going to address the arbitrary and capricious claims. The court also rejected an explicit argument from U.S. Telecom that the commission's about-face on classification requires that new policy be based on factual findings that contradict the previous policy or the decision is arbitrary and capricious. Now, the court determined, following the instructions of the Supreme Court's decision in NCTA versus Brand X, that the key change was not that broadband has functionally changed, but that consumers now perceive broadband as a separate, standalone offering. The court agreed with the commission that changes in factual circumstances were not crucial to the reclassification decision. Now, those were the main arguments on reclassification, but let's explore some of the more specific challenges regarding interconnection agreements. First up, the court rejected claims that the commission would need to reclassify the relationship between bias providers and edge providers or interconnecting uh, carriers such as backbone networks uh, before regulating interconnection agreements between those entities. Specifically, the court found that because the commission reclassified broadband as a telecommunication service, regulating interconnection agreements was reasonably necessary to ensure that broadband providers do not use the terms of interconnection to disadvantage edge providers or prevent consumers from reaching the services and applications of their choosing. One topic I think some were surprised about came in the court's upholding of the reclassification of mobile broadband. In addressing petitioners' claims that the commission erred in classifying mobile broadband as a commercial mobile service, the court found that mobile broadband unquestionably meets three of the four components of a commercial mobile service. It is a mobile service, it is provided for profit, and it is available to the public, or a substantial portion of the public. The only question was whether mobile broadband also makes interconnected services available. In 2007, the commission determined that mobile broadband did not connect to the public switch network and was therefore not an interconnected service, or by extension, a commercial mobile service. In the 2015 Open Internet Order, the commission decided to expand its definition of the public switch network to reflect the current network landscape. The court rejected U.S. Telecom's argument that mobile broadband would always be considered a private mobile service and never a commercial mobile service, because it would require inserting the word telephone into the statute. The court found the commission's exercise of authority to define ambiguous terms under the Chevron doctrine to be a reasonable interpretation of the statute. The court also agreed with the commission that mobile broadband, through Voice Over Internet Protocol, or VoIP, allows users to communicate via telephone numbers, meaning it meets the definition of interconnected services. The court also agreed with the commission that it needed to reclassify mobile broadband as a commercial mobile service and could not solely rely on classifying broadband generally as a telecommunication service. This ensures that if a consumer is accessing the internet through a mobile phone, the internet connection is subject to the same common carrier protections. The court also determined that petitioners clearly understood that the definition of public switch network was under consideration, based on numerous ex parte letters and comments filed in the FCC's rulemaking proceeding. Now let's talk about the FCC's decision to forbear and the petitioner's claims against forbearance. As we discussed above, one petitioner had argued that the commission did not go far enough in its reclassification, essentially arguing that the commission should not have forborne from certain aspects of Title II. Full Service Network focused its objections on the forbearance from Sections 251 and 252 of the Communications Act, which require providers to offer wholesale services on an unbundled basis. 
the court dismissed full service networks challenges, finding that the agency's interpretation, quote, will prevail unless it is erroneous or inconsistent with the plain terms of the regulation, unquote. The court found that the statute governing the commission's forbearance did not require the additional considerations that full service claimed, such as geographic limit to forbearance. Additionally, on the specific provisions in question, the court found that the commission's concern that unbundling could harm investment or competition was a reasonable one. Another claim the court addressed was the commission's authority to implement paid prioritization rules. Petitioners Alamo Broadband and Daniel Berenger had argued that even with reclassification, the commission lacked authority under Section 201B of Title II and Section 303B of Title III to impose the paid prioritization ban. The court focused on its earlier Verizon decision, which found that the commission's Section 706 authority extends to rules, quote, governing broadband providers' treatment of internet traffic, unquote, in reliance on the commission's argument that open internet policies drive innovation, consumer demand, and investment in a, quote, unquote, virtuous circle. Alamo and Behringer contended that arguments in the Verizon decision, which granted the commission this broad rulemaking authority under Section 706, were dicta, or non-binding. The court, however, disagreed and dismissed petitioners' claims. The court then moved on to the commission's authority to implement the general conduct rule. U.S. Telecom argued that the general conduct rule is impermissibly vague, and the commission failed to provide adequate notice that it would issue a rule of this kind. The court rejected U.S. Telecom's procedural challenge by pointing to a question in the notice of proposed rulemaking asking how the commission can ensure that the rule it adopts sufficiently protects against harms to the open Internet and to the fact that the commission outlined in detail the factors it would apply in determining such a standard. The factors guiding the application of the general conduct rule include end-user control, competitive effects, harm to consumers, the effect on innovation, investment or broadband deployment, the impact on free expression, whether a practice is application agnostic, and if the practice adheres to common standard practices. The court found that the general conduct rule and the commission's seven-factor test provides a reasonable degree of certainty and that the accompanying advisory opinion process addresses any remaining constitutional concerns. So we just discussed the opinion. Let's talk about the dissent. Judge Williams concurred and dissented in part from the majority's opinion. On the most important issue, Judge Williams agreed that broadband internet access service can be considered a telecommunications service. However, in his view, the 2015 open internet order must be vacated for three reasons. First, the Commission's justification of its switch in classification of broadband from a Title I information service to a Title II telecommunication service fails for want of reasoned decision-making. Next, the Commission's reliance on Sections 201B of the Communications Act and Section 706 of the Telecommunications Act is inadequate and the two statutes do not justify the rules adopted. Lastly, the Commission's decision to forbear from enforcing a wide array of Title II's provisions is based on premises inconsistent with its reclassification of broadband. Jameson, what does all of this mean? Well, Jen, most importantly, it's not over till it's over. Petitioners still have the ability to petition for a hearing on banc in front of the entire D.C. Circuit or to petition for certiorari at the Supreme Court. That said, the D.C. Circuit, and particularly Judge Tatel, who wrote the opinion, hold a lot of sway. And the FCC's win here suggests that any further appeals may be an uphill battle for petitioners. 
For that reason, any regulated entities that have been waiting on the sidelines for this opinion should now begin to comply with the FCC's open internet regulations. Uh, that includes not only the bright line rules, uh, but also uh, some of the provisions from which the FCC declined to forbear, things like privacy and data security regulations. In addition, this decision is likely to further embolden the commission. So we're likely to see increased rulemaking on open internet issues. We're also likely to see more enforcement of the open internet regulations, things like blocking, throttling, paid prioritization, uh, and also a lot under the general conduct rule, which is this general forward-looking standard um, that's relatively amorphous and could apply to a number of different practices. One of the specific practices that comes to mind is zero rating. The FCC, particularly Chairman Wheeler, has stated that it's going to look at practices like zero rating on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, but that said, we should expect some guidance uh, in the near future about zero rating and other similar practices uh, since they've become so prevalent in the broadband internet access service industry. So what are the big takeaways here? First, it was a big win for the commission. The court ruled in the FCC's favor on all accounts, and even the dissent was only a partial dissent with a concurrence in part. Uh, in addition, the rules here will apply across the board to both fixed and mobile bias service. Uh, in advance of the opinion, uh, some had thought that the mobile rules would not survive, but the fixed rules might. Here, the commission provides, or the court rather, provides resounding support uh, for the commission's authority here on both fixed and mobile services. For that reason, providers across the board should begin to comply with the rules if they haven't already. Finally, the FCC, as I just mentioned, is likely to take an increasingly aggressive stance, both on the rulemaking side, but also on the enforcement side. And so if you feel like the FCC's enforcement of open internet has been light up to date, we can expect in the wake of this decision for the sleeping giant to wake up, for the FCC to look around uh, for instances of violations and to begin to find people to make, a, uh, make examples of. Um, and so keep your eye out. Follow the FCC. Uh, if you'd like, we have a blog. We've been tracking a lot of these issues. Uh, so take a look. Uh, keep in touch with what's going on, and, uh, and we'll see where things go. And that's all we got. Well, thank you all very much for listening, and, and thanks, Jen. Thank you. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.